Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me today is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka my man who actually just got back from my birthplace of St. Louis. How you doing today, Ethan? How was your trip? I'm happy to hear you had a good trip. I mean, we both just kind of got back from vacations. Memphis, as always, was great. I, it's always a blast when I get to go to Memphis. Ate some great food, lost some money at the casino, but it was worth it. Caught a Redbirds game, which was a blast. So we all need a vacation now and again. So hopefully our listeners, y'all get one yourself this summer. But we got a cool show for you guys today. Of course, we're going to talk some NFL action and pick who are the real Super Bowl contenders out of each NFL division. We're going to look at the NBA playoffs and we're going to figure out if the uh, Golden State Warriors will be champions after tomorrow night. And then, of course, we are going to play a throwback of a game called Waterfalls versus Rivers, which I will provide the instructions for later. But before we get to any of that, please sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So let's start off with some NFL roster news. First things first, shout out to safety Mika Fitzpatrick, who the Pittsburgh Steelers officially made the highest paid safety in the league after signing him to a four-year contract extension were $73.6 million with $36 million guaranteed. The Raiders took care of their slot receiver, um, Hunter Renfro, giving him a two-year $32 million deal with $21 million fully guaranteed. And then finally, the Rams doing what the Rams do, and that's playing life without a salary cap. First, they re-sign... Well, they uh, extended Aaron Donald to make him the highest paid non-quarterback in the league, reworking his deal for the next three remaining years, where he will get a $40 million raise through 2024, and he will be getting 95 mil through the next three years. Once again, I think it saved me me and Ethan picked the wrong career paths. And finally, Cooper Cup, the league's triple crown winner, uh, also got paid, signed a three-year extension worth about 75 mil to make him one of the highest paid wide receivers in the league. He's now signed with the Rams through 2026. I mean, Ethan, I know you and I talk about it a lot, just what the Rams have been able to do in free agency and how they've been able to keep bringing back stars. So, Keeping Cooper Cup in tow, same for Aaron Donald. How much longer do you think their Super Bowl window is for? I mean, they still got Matthew Stafford locked up. They get their stars. Jalen Ramsey's still there. Uh, Bobby Wagner. How much longer do you think the Rams are really going to be a threat as Super Bowl contenders? Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm sorry, keep going.
I think something else that, you know, I agree with mostly what you're saying. I would throw Cooper Cup in that top 10 mix. I think that last year was the first year he really exploded. But, I mean, he's been really consistent um, over the course of his career. But, I mean, I think something else that has to be noted is right now the NFC is – it feels kind of weak. I mean, of course, you get teams like the Rams, and then you got the Bucks, who with Tom Brady, they're always going to be a threat. And then, I mean, but you look at the Packers, they have questions about them. The Cowboys are another team, um, and just Vikings, like other teams like that. Like, I feel like you have your two big threats, and then after that, I think it's just kind of like dealer's choice. I mean, it's just a matter of who's going to win on get each given week. So I think that because of that, and when you see so many other teams in the conference have lost talent, the Rams just continue to keep their guys, which I think can be stressed enough. And I think that's something that's going to continue to make them a threat for, as you mentioned, about two or three more years. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. A couple weeks ago, it was announced that John Madden um, will be the cover star for Madden 23. Of course, as we know, he passed away just a few months ago. The game was named after so it's only right so Ethan we it's always a fun conversation talking about the 99 club so in your opinion honestly based off this past year I might have about three or three guys no I'll say four four guys who I think should be in the 99 club but what about you who do you think should get that honor For me, I, I got four. You want me to just give you mine? I'll go Aaron Donald. I just feel like Aaron Donald's in the game. He's going to be a 99. Uh, TJ Watt is an easy 99 for me. Um, and then looking at some offensive guys, I would throw Aaron Rodgers into that mix. Back-to-back MVPs. Last, In my opinion, last year he should have been the cover athlete. Um, so best thing – Madden can do is at least throw him an envy, a 99 overall based off of what he was able to do this past year. Um, and then another familiar guy, Travis Kelsey. I mean, best tight end in the league, in my opinion. I also kind of thought about Devontae Adams. I think he would be worthy of a 99 too, but the first few guys I mentioned would definitely get my vote. That's fair. He would definitely be – it's hard to deny him being a 99. I mean, Miles Garrett is a freaking beast. But speaking of beasts, it's actually funny you mentioned Miles Garrett because his uh, teammate, Jadavian Clowney, has some interesting comments after he re-signed with the team. He said, I think we've got a shot at it in referring to the Super Bowl. We had a great defense last year. We went out and got some more key players on offense and defense, and I feel like we've got a shot. However, let's be honest, around this time of year, everybody thinks their team has Super Bowl aspirations. For example, Tim Patrick, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, said that this season is Super Bowl or bust for the team, especially after getting Russell Wilson. And hell, even Geno Smith, quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, said that he feels like this. He has a championship winning squad around him. However, Every team says that, but that does not mean it's the case. So what we are going to do is we are going to look at every um, division in the league, and we are going to pick which team we feel is a legitimate Super Bowl contender. So we're going to start things off in the AFC East, which is made up of the Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins, New York Jets, 
and the um, New England Patriots. I think you and I and both are in agreement here that the Bills are the only real Super Bowl contender. Yeah, that was easy. All right, looking at the AFC North, which is made up of the Cincinnati Bengals, Cleveland Browns, Baltimore Ravens, Pittsburgh Steelers. While it seems like every team, in my opinion, has, like, added some key contributions, I still feel like it's the Bengals' division to lose. They're coming off a Super Bowl appearance last year, so I would go Bengals. Um, I think I'll join you. No, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be upset if Baltimore wanted to do it, but I have a hard time. Realistically, I mean – I'm going Bengals. All right, let's look at the AFC South. This one I think is going to be more of a conversation. Indianapolis Colts, Jacksonville Jaguars, Houston Texans, Tennessee Titans. Who you got? I think I'd have to go Colts, too. I just feel like they're a bit more – they're the most balanced team in the division right now. So, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. All right, AFC West. Now, this may be the tougher – uh, division to do but of course we got the Kansas City Chiefs Los Angeles Chargers Las Vegas Raiders and Denver Broncos who you got I'm going to say the Los Angeles Chargers yeah I figured it's tough because talent-wise, in terms of roster I think that it the Chargers clear in a way have the best in the division but I mean, the Chiefs have been in the AFC Championship, what, four out of the last five years, three out of the last four? It's two Super Bowl appearances. I mean, they know what they're doing in the big moments. I mean, it's very rare to find a better team in that in the big moments this over the past few years, even after losing Tyreek Hill. I, I still got to go with the Chiefs. I just I got to see the Chargers do it. I think for sure they make the playoffs. But in terms of being a Super Bowl contender, I, I got to stick with the team that's done it. All right, let's move on to the NFC East, which is a tough one for me. Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, New York Giants, and um, Washington Commanders. I got Eagles, too. It's another case of I feel like they just have the best roster. The Cowboys, I mean, every year, according to their fans, it's it's their year. But when push comes to shove, I mean, they just continue to disappoint. I think that the team that they're going to field this year isn't better than the one they had last year. So I think that's going to end up holding them back. All right, let's look at the NFC North, where we got the Green Bay Packers, Minnesota Vikings, Detroit Lions, Chicago Bears. I got Packers, but, like, I'm not confident in the Packers. But I'd, I'd still say them just because the Aaron Rodgers factor. No, I think that's totally understandable. I mean, the reason why it was like a question mark for me is because, I mean, we've seen the Packers with full strength. I mean, with Devontae Adams in tow and that great uh, duo between him and Aaron Rodgers. However, it's like they we had that for years and they didn't lead to a Super Bowl. They never got to a Super Bowl together. And so it's like, as you mentioned, they have even less talent at the position. It's It's rough. And it really just came down to, do I trust Kirk Cousins to lead the Vikings? And the answer to that was no. I still have a bit more faith in Aaron Rodgers getting his team there, especially with the moves they made on defense, as opposed to just 
Kirk Cousins leading the Vikings. But I, I, I do think that the Vikings have a better team than the Packers right now for sure. All right, NFC South, we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, New Orleans Saints, Carolina Panthers, Atlanta Falcons. I got Bucks. Yeah, I want the Saints to be good, though. And then finally, NFC West, we got the Los Angeles Rams, Arizona Cardinals, San Francisco 49ers, and Seattle Seahawks. Sorry, Geno Smith, I got the Rams as the real Super Bowl contender in that division. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of Believable or Buffoonery. And we're going to talk former Titans wide receiver um, A.J. Brown, who, I mean, it's been – it's been an interesting time since his trade on the first night of the NFL draft to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Titans fans are not exactly happy with him, even though he continues to say that it was not his decision to be traded. Um, one fan even tweeted at him, said, for the love of God, just stay off social media. You're already a villain. No need to make it a stupid villain. Hashtag Titans. To which A.J. Brown responded, for the love of God, I was the best receiver to play for your franchise. Shut up and move on. You mad at the wrong person cbs sports put out a poll not poll but put out his stats during his three years with the team and it's it's pretty interesting because in terms of receptions he's 19th with 185 in terms of receiving yards he's 16th with 2995 and he's 12th in touchdowns receptions with 24 however if you actually look at the list inside the top 10 excluding delaney walker who was a tight end the only receiver um, only three receivers to make the top 10 in terms of receiving yards were Derek Mason, who was sixth, uh, Frank Wycheck, who was seventh, and Nate Washington, who was eighth. And neither, none of them have more than 6,500 yards. So, Ethan, believable or buffoonery, A.J. Brown is the best wideout in Titans history. Yeah, I I think you really hit it on the head. Like, in terms of the numbers, they're not exactly going to wow you. But, I mean, like you mentioned, he didn't play that much. And, I mean, it's not like there were a whole bunch of wideouts who were mentioned during this time. I mean, because in terms of star power or, at the very least, explosiveness, I think A.J. Brown, hands down, was the most talented. I think that when you look at the other receivers on this list who at least played in this millennium, like, you're not – 
as excited. I know Nate Washington for a time looked like he had some potential to him. Um, Kendall Wright is another guy who was ahead of him who everybody thought he'd be much better than he actually was. But just in terms of pure talent, I don't think really any of them can touch AJ. But in terms of of course if you look at numbers, you're not gonna think he's the best. But I think in terms of explosiveness, I think he I think he would be up there. All right, speaking of being up there, Cam Hayward, veteran D lineman for the Pittsburgh Steelers got some things off of his chest. We all know Aaron Donald is the best defensive tackle in the league. I don't think anybody would truly argue that who's not being biased. But Cam Hayward said somebody is going to give him his respect. He said, it pisses me off hands down. I think I'm one of, if not the most complete players at my position. I know Aaron is a really talented guy, but don't just shy away and say, oh, it's Aaron Donald and everybody else. Shit, it's Cam and Aaron and everybody else. Those are some bold words to say. So, in your opinion, believable or buffoonery, Cam Hayward should be in the conversation with Aaron Donald in terms of the best defensive tackles in the league. Yeah, Chris Jones, Jones. yeah. As a Ravens fan, I will be the first person to say I think that Cam Hayward deserves a lot more respect than he gets. Cam Hayward, in my opinion, is one of the more underrated defensive linemen in the league. I mean, he's very good. But, of course, I'm calling buffoonery on what he said because at what point was Cam Hayward ever the best defensive player on the Steelers? Like, honestly, throughout his what? It's been – he's going into his 11th season. I can't tell you a year when I was like, Cam Hayward, when you look at the Steelers' defense, Cam Hayward is the guy you got to look at. Because, I mean, most recently, I don't think anybody would dispute it's T.J. Watt. Then before that, you could probably say it was Ryan Shazier. Then before that, you could say James Harrison. Like, one great thing about the Steelers is there's just so much defensive talent there that, like, some guys are bound to get lost in the shuffle, and Cam Hayward is one of those guys where he's very consistent. I mean, he's a great player, but to compare yourself to Aaron Donald, who we're not even talking about Aaron Donald anymore in the conversation of defensive tackles right now. Like, he's getting um, opportunities to be talked as one of the best defensive players ever, and we don't hear those conversations with Cam Hayward because, I mean – even if I look talk about the second or third best defensive tackle, I don't know if I go Cam Hayward. I think Chris Jones would have an argument. I think that Fletcher Cox, of course, is another guy. Hell, even Jeffrey Simmons is really showing his mantle to be in that top five conversation. And Cam Hayward, I'm sorry, he just kind of gets lost in the shuffle for me. So, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery. All right, but one more thing before we talk some Chiefs 
slash Tyree Kill slash Dolphins drama. Let's talk some quarterbacks. Kind of mentioned Devontae Adams earlier. As we all know, he jumped ship from Green Bay, traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. Well, he'll get to play with his best friend and former college quarterback, Derek Carr. And of his reunion with Carr, he had some interesting things to say. He said, as far as talent and ability, it's really similar if I'm keeping it real in terms of comparing Derek Carr to Aaron Rodgers. Now, from the fan perspective, I'm sure we're probably thinking that's crazy to think that Derek Carr is on Aaron Rodgers' level. But believable or buffoonery, maybe Derek Carr is on A-Rod's level. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that as well. I mean, I think that we've seen, let's say it like this. I think that you and I can both agree. We've seen moments from Derek Carr where he looks like he can be that guy, where he looks like a star. But there has never, excluding 2015, there has never been a season where I'm like, Derek Carr's a top five quarterback at worst. Because, I mean, I think that it's safe to say he's the worst quarterback in his division right now. Not that Derek Carr is bad, but, I mean, I think that we will both agree we would take Russ Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes over him, and it's not really close. But with that being said, I mean, I think that I'm calling buffoonery as well. I think that Derek Carr is another guy, kind of like Cam Hayward, who deserves more respect on the national spectrum. But comparing him to Aaron Rodgers, I just I feel like Aaron Rodgers is kind of seen more as like one of those generational talents, and Derek Carr is just one of those guys who's really good but hasn't really made it into that great conversation yet. But all right, let's go ahead. Last set of questions. First, let's start with Tua Tungavailoa. I mean, he kind of called out the keyboard warriors and the fans on social media who don't think that he can throw the ball deep or that he's a good quarterback. And even kind of threw some shade at last year's coaching staff said, I wasn't really able to push the ball down the field last year because we didn't have plays specifically to push the ball down the field. A lot of the plays that were called were meant for one person. Either this person is over open or this play is dead. We got a new, he's got a new coach. He's got a new coaching staff, got some new plays to work with. So believable or a buffoonery. We will see the best two of our, Tua Tunga Vailoa that we have ever seen in 2022. I'm going to say believable simply because I think that a lot of his time, well, I'm not going to say a lot, but a majority of his time with the Dolphins, he he didn't have adequate enough weapons. He had Mike Yusinki, um to start out. Now he, at the time last season, he had Jaden Water. And once he had Jaden Water, his, his production um, increase, but the only thing with Jaden Waddle was he, um, he honestly and truly was only thrown to Jaden Waddle. And now he has two top weapons, in my opinion, in Jaden Waddle and Tyreek Hill. And I think he's going to have to spread the ball around because you're going to have those guys outside and you're still going to have Mike Kosicki going across the middle. So I do think that you're going to see the best version of him this season. 
in terms of NFL Tua, I will say believable. But in terms of comparing, like, college Tua at Alabama, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I would not be shocked if there were some plays that the Dolphins had where that were specifically geared towards a Mike Jasicki or maybe a Jalen Waddle or maybe even a Devontae Parker, like, over the past couple of years. But – it's crazy because you see this, but then you look back at kind of the things that Ryan Fitzpatrick did in his time. He was slinging the ball all over the yard. I don't think that you can totally put it all on the coaching staff or the playbook because, I mean, you're still the quarterback. You still have opportunities to get the ball out there. You just didn't do it. And so I don't, I don't think it's fair that he's blaming the past coaching staff for his mistakes, but I do think that we are going to see an upgraded version of Tua. I just don't know if it's going to be one that – I don't think it's – I'm not sure if it's going to be one that the Dolphins believe they can win with. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we come across a situation kind of similar like the Baker Mayfield this past year where he has a fine year or maybe he's a bit of a letdown and then the Dolphins are looking to upgrade at the position. But let's go ahead and continue on with the Dolphins because Tyreek Hill had some really interesting comments about his – last season with the Kansas City Chiefs um on his podcast it needed to be said he and his agent were talking and um it's pretty interesting uh his agent Drew Rosenhaus said this there were a lot of times during the year we that we felt Tyreek was underutilized and wasn't fully appreciated and that the Chiefs weren't really taking full advantage of his talent and his ability Tyreek Hill added with the same podcast on the same podcast um, which added to his frustrations with leaving the uh, Kansas City for Miami. That's where probably me and the Chiefs fell apart right there. I don't mean to be a diva, but just give me the ball, please. It, it's funny to hear him say that considering how many targets he got. Like, I'm about to pull it up right now because I know he had to be pretty high in terms of targets. Yeah, last season he was targeted 159 times. But in your opinion, believable or buffoonery, the Chiefs underutilized Tyreek Hill. I don't think they did. I think that they used him perfectly. I think a big thing that happened last season was that the NFL adjusted to the way that the Chiefs used Tyreek Hill. And we saw on for a stretch that they, the Chiefs didn't have the same explosive offense that we were used to seeing in seasons past. And a lot of that attributed to the fact that teams played Two um two deep safeties and they kind of just baited Patrick Mahomes into throwing stuff underneath and making tap and making the tackle. And since Tyreek Hill was the primary deep threat with that defense, he was he wasn't making those um splash plays that we were used to seeing. So I don't think they underutilized him. I just think the NFL finally caught up to what they were doing with him. I think. I'm looking at his game log right now. Of the Chiefs, what, 20 games? In 10 of those games, he was targeted 10 or more times. If that's being underutilized, I hate to break it to you, Tyreek, but there are players who would kill to get targeted half of that many times. I think that you really hit it on the head that defenses just did a better job of containing him. And I think that the Chiefs, most of his plays come off 
off script plays where Patrick Mahomes is running for his life. He uses his speed to get open and boom, there you go. And as you mentioned, defense is really kind of honed in on that and really were able to keep him in check in a way that they hadn't been able to do before. And so because of that, in terms of him being underutilized, I'm calling big buffoonery. I think that there were so many opportunities for him to get the ball. He was obviously uh, Patrick Mahomes' favorite target. Yes, you still have Travis Kelsey there, but I mean, you're still seeing a lot of balls coming your way. So I'm calling buffoonery. And plus, realistically, Ethan, like I said, he got targeted 159 times last year. Do you think he sees 125 targets in Miami? Do you think he's – because he had 1,200 receiving yards and nine touchdowns. Do you think he tops, equals, or has less production this year than he does – than he did last year? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, I think he might have more carries because, I mean, carries that he have. He had nine carries, so I think he'll have more carries. I think he'll do more of kind of things that Debo Samuel was doing. But in terms of, if he thought he was underutilized with the Chiefs, I really had to be the bearer of bad news. But, bro, it's it's only going to get worse. But, all right, let's go ahead, move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your past three takeaways of these NBA finals? Yeah, I, I'm feeling you on that. Um, I'm not going to lie. Picking Mamba players has been tough. I mean, for the West, I would go Steph. For the East, part of me, like, it's Jason Tatum with the question mark. Just because I think it's been, you mentioned on turnovers. I believe he has 95 turnovers so far this postseason. That's a lot. And um, But it's like. If he's not doing it offensively, nobody else really has been able to pick up the slack, which I think that Ime Aduko, their coach, really hit on. Because he was like, if we were playing better offensively, this would be a much different series. So it's kind of like, I guess I'll give it to Jason Tatum by default in terms of being the Mamba player. But then again, I realize when you think Kobe Bryant, you don't think of anything by default. So no Celtic gets it. But I would say Steph has earned it. Even with last game five's performance, I mean, I think Steph has really shown that he's still carrying this team by far. I don't know if you yeah, I, think, I, I honestly will say I think this would have been the finals. There's no need for you store wins. I think it should just be one player yeah. since it's ultimately like a, a series against two teams. Yeah. So if that's the case, I'm probably still gonna agree with you 
But we'll get to our uh, game six predictions towards the latter part of this segment. So let's go ahead and look at the NBA coaching carousel. Um, Since the last time you and I were both on the show, the Lakers announced that they were hiring Darvin Ham as their head coach. The former Bucks assistant signed a four-year contract, and it's been met with a lot of praise. Ham has bounced around a bit around the league as both a player and an assistant coach, and some people are really excited for this move. Um, a, for example, Kendrick Perkins uh, said the combination of Darvin Ham and Rasheed Wallace, who signed on to be an assistant coach, equals Anthony Davis being a top-five player next year. Those two are going to bring that dog out of AD, carry the hell on. So, overall, what are your thoughts on the ham signing? I like it. I think that it's better than trying to bring in someone with a really big name and possibly a big ego. I mean, unfortunately, when you play when you coach a team that has LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, you're going to have to find somebody who can kind of manage all those different personalities and kind of just do their job quietly instead of causing a scene and put making themselves into a spectacle, and I think that uh, Ham can be that guy. Yeah, I think you really hit it on the head, of course, bringing up Giannis and how he helped out with the development of AD. And, I mean, of course, as you mentioned, questions about AD's health are always going to be there. But I think that if he can stay healthy, I think that Ham can really help bring the most out of him to where maybe he can prove to be the guy if and when LeBron eventually retires. But, all right, let's talk about another coaching change, Utah Jazz, a team we'll talk about more in a bit. Um, Quinn Snyder, the head coach of the past several seasons, has decided to step down from his position. Do you feel like Quinn Snyder stepping down, possible trade rumors revolving around Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, do you think it's best that the Jazz just go ahead and go into rebuild mode? Kind of how 
to the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. I think that they, they reached the plateau of uh, where they'll be with their current roster. Very similar to Portland, where Portland made the Western Conference Finals. Um, and then essentially, like right after that, that's when they started to make all those moves. I think the same thing is similar with the Jazz, where it's like, you, I think you can only get so far with Rudy Gobert essentially being your quote unquote second best player. Yes, he's a tremendous, he's a tremendous defensive talent. He has flaws on the defensive side of the ball, and he's a supreme liability on the offensive side of the ball. You need, and they had firepower. The big thing with it is like with their firepower, they're really contingent upon the three ball, and they weren't making threes throughout the history, of course of these, these past playoffs. So I think it's time to blow up. Yeah, I think so, too. And, then, I mean, when kind of talking about the uh, Portland Trailblazers, at least they made it that far. I think the furthest that the Jazz have gone the past couple of years was maybe the second round. And I think that at least with when you look at Spida and you look at Rudy Gobert, those are both very serviceable players. They're great players. However, I don't think either of them are on the level of Dame, L- Dame, Damian Lillard. And so because of that, it's just like, why continue to build like and plus it's not like utah is a sexy free agent destination it's not like they can really help build the roster through free agency and kind of bring other guys there to help boost their team up i think that real talk what they have now is probably the best that they were going to get and clearly that's not working and so with quinn snyder going it's no telling who was going to end up being the new head coach i'm sure it may not be the most glamorous name especially if they do end up trading Donovan Mitchell and maybe even Rudy Gobert as well. So, yeah, no, I think rebuild mode is is the best course of action. Uh, talking about another coaching hire, though, the Charlotte Hornets hired Kenny Atkinson to be their head coach. Um, most notably, he spent the past few uh, years, 2016 to 2020, as the Brooklyn Nets head coach. In my opinion, he could have stayed a bit longer instead of Steve Nash, but, you know, go off. Um, and most recently spent the last season as an assistant in Golden State. How do you like this hire? Because personally, I like it a lot. You talking about with D'Lo, Spencer, Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert? Yeah, that was a good squad. Yeah, and I think that, as you mentioned, with such a young group who almost made the playoffs this year, I think that if they can get the right man in charge, I think that they can really make some strides. I think that, as you mentioned, he helped out with the development of Lamelo Ball, and I think that he can really help build this team up to be one that can be really 
really effective in the next few years. Not necessarily right now, but maybe a couple years from now, we could talk about the uh, Hornets being a bit of a threat. Talking about a team that's a threat right now, though, the Memphis Grizzlies, who outperformed everybody's expectations, unsurprisingly gave their head coach, Taylor Jenkins, a multi-year contract extension. As we all know, Jenkins was considered one of the top coaches in the league, came second in the league's coach of the year voting after leading the Grizzlies to the second best regular season record in the NBA. So as a Grizzlies fan, how happy are you to see Taylor Jenkins back in the fold and knowing he's going to be around for a while? Yeah, I think it's a great decision. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think that just the strides that the team has made since he first stepped in. Because was his first year the same year as Jaws first year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this the growth of that team. And, I mean, keeping that young core together I think has really been important to their development. Because, yeah, we all know about Jaws, but I think that uh, Taylor Jenkins deserves a lot of credit for what he's been able to do and how he's been able to find talent in other guys, such as you look at Xavier Tillman, Desmond Bain, for example, Brandon Clark, um, other guys like that who they've really been able to get the most out of, even though they may not be the most well-known guys in the league. But all right, let's play a game, and it's called Waterfalls versus Rivers. So how this is going to work. A few years ago, during an NFL draft uh, segment, it's inspired. We came up with the game inspired by the TLC song Waterfalls, which, of course, the lyric is, don't go chasing waterfalls. Stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. However, I think we all like waterfalls in terms of sports. We love those splash moments. So, Ethan, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a few scenarios for different teams, and I'm going to tell you, and I want to hear your opinion on if they should go for the waterfall, a.k.a. go for the big play, or go for the river, which means stick with some what they already know. So you got it? All right, bet. So we're going to start off with, I think, one a guy that we both enjoy, Bradley Beal, who is a bad man when he's been healthy. But unfortunately, he's been playing on a piss-poor Washington Wizards team who, for the past several years, he's remained committed to despite not having a lot of success on the court. However, in a recent interview with Taylor Rooks, he discussed his future with the Wizards and said, if I feel like I can win in D.C., that's what I'm going to do. If it's elsewhere, it's going to be the exact same commitment. Um, Of course, he wants to win, but he wants to stay in Washington as well. Now, if Bradley Bill stays with the Wizards this offseason, he can earn up to 250 mil over the next five years, or he could opt out of his $36.4 million player option and go to a different team and side a hun- for 180 mil for four years, which, of course, is not bad. But the question remains, should Bradley Bill stick with the river that he's used to, a la the Washington Wizards, and hope that they can build a river, a winner around him? Or should he take the waterfall and look elsewhere to have success? Uh, I, I wish I could disagree. Yeah, no, go waterfall, bro. Just good. Bradley Beal, I like Bradley Beal so much, and it's just like, go somewhere else. Like, I would, I would love him in L.A. just because Lord knows we need another shooter. But just go somewhere. 
that has can actually build around you. Because right now the Wizards are just a team that's just stuck in the mud. Like they are just this is what you get. They're not they're not that great. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But all right, let's go ahead and talk about the Orlando Magic, who have been a high-picking lottery team for the past several years. Reports are coming out that the Magic are actually considering the possibility of trading the number one overall pick in exchange for Zion Williamson. Now, let's not even look at the aspect for the Pelicans of if they would do this trade or not. But should the Magic go with the waterfall and try to go all in to get Zion Williamson or stick with the river, keep their first overall pick, and draft someone? I think they should stick with the river simply because we don't know um, the certainty of Zion's health. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, it's hard. With Zion, we know he's talented, but it's just like he didn't play at all last season. He played a little over half of the season the year before. It's hard to really – know what you're getting out of Zion as opposed to you get a first overall pick. You gave your pick of the litter and really can go from there. All right, let's talk about the Warriors, though. Jordan Poole has been a very hot name over these past few uh, weeks of the season and reportedly wants to be paid a max contract this season and would like to do so with the Warriors where he has a chance to be listed as the third Splash Brother. However, the Warriors have another possible free agent candidate, Andrew Wiggins, who, as of late, has been playing pretty well. In fact, uh, Raymond Green talked recently of Andrew Wiggins, who dropped 26 um, in Game 5 of the Finals, and said, this was telling us Jimmy Butler loved him, and we all know how Jimmy is. If you got any softness to you, Jimmy doesn't like you. Andrew Wiggins has become a popular name coming up so do the Warriors, let's say they have, it's an either-or situation. Do the Warriors stick with the waterfall and Jordan Poole, who most this season is really coming to his own, or stick with the river and pay Andrew Wiggins? I'm going to say the waterfall is Jordan Poole. And the reason I say that is because Jordan Poole is younger. Um, we don't know how long you're going to have the dynamic duo step and play. Granted, Andrew Wiggins is younger than them as well, but... With Jordan Poole, you could potentially have a a um, focal point or a um, additional focal point whenever Steph decides to hang him up. I like that aspect. All right, so let's go ahead, move on to the San Antonio Spurs, seemingly a shell of their former selves uh, since their last championship run, and I believe that was, what, 2015, 2016, one of the two. Um, but Greg Popovich is still the man on the sidelines, and admittedly he has his eyes on a potential free agent being DeAndre Ayton. In an interview with uh, San Antonio Today, he mentioned that he would love to have the opportunity to develop DeAndre Ayton into a superstar caliber player he also mentioned that Aiden is worth a max contract and he wants the Spurs to make a strong push to get him this offseason however more than likely it would take a sign and trade in order to bring him over one proposed trade I saw was uh including Yaka Pirtle Keldon Johnson the ninth overall pick 20th overall pick and the 25th overall pick in an effort to get DeAndre Aiden so should the Spurs look at the waterfall in getting DeAndre Ayton in hopes of making him the next great San Antonio big or stick with the river and try to build their team up through the draft? I think they should go for the waterfall and DeAndre Ayton. A big reason why I say that is because DeAndre Ayton's skill set is very comparable to David Robinson. He's, he's an athletic, mobile, big, that has shooting touch, and that's a lot of what David Robinson offers. And he was 
Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that Monty Williams kind of touched on in a recent quote about DeAndre Aiden about how early in the season they tried to come up with plays that would get him the ball, but it just didn't feel like them, quote-unquote. So I think that DeAndre Aiden is definitely going to be looking for a place where he feels like, for lack of a better term, like his he can spread his wings a bit more and I think become more of a focal point of the offense. And I mean – I love DeJounte Murray. I think he has a lot of skill, but the Spurs need as much talent as they can get, and we know how much they love big. So I think that DeAndre Aiden would be a really seamless fit into that team. All right, last one before we play Believable or Buffoonery. We got to talk Donovan Mitchell, who we talked about just a bit ago. A lot of reports were coming out that after Quinn Snyder decided to step down, uh, Donovan Mitchell was a bit unsure of his future with his team, especially not knowing what direction they will take. A popular uh, team that he's been compared to or linked with is the Miami Heat, where earlier this week he was seen with Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. So it's raised a lot of eyebrows. Um, The Utah Jazz have reportedly declined all trade offers for Donovan Mitchell and are expected to only consider monstrous offers. And then looking on the side of the Miami Heat, following the end of their season, Tyler Harrow, a.k.a. reigning sixth man of the year, said that, yeah, for sure, in some way I would like to start. I think, uh, think it's my fourth year, so I think I've earned it and we'll see what happens. Who knows? Maybe Tyler Harrell is bound to be a starter before a different team. So, should the Miami Heat stick with the river that they know, which is Tyler Harrell and other pieces of their bench, or go for the waterfall and go all in on bringing Spider to Miami? I think they should go for the waterfall, which is Spider from Miami, for a similar reason that I mentioned earlier. Jimmy Butler, he's an amazing face of their franchise, but Jimmy Butler is also older. And if you bring in Donovan Mitchell, bring in a more than capable sidekick to Jimmy Butler, and you can bring in a guy that you can um, build around for the future of their franchise, because once Jimmy retires, the future of their franchise could be, if you want to tell me the future of the Miami, it could be Donovan Mitchell and Bam Adebayo, um, I would sign up for that 10 times out of 10, Yeah. So, I think they should go for the waterfall. Yeah, and I think in today's NBA, I know Bam Adebayo is not exactly the defender that Rudy Gobert is, but at least he provides offensive production. And I think that that makes that duo much more deadly than the one of Gobert and Mitchell. So, yeah, I say go for the waterfall as well. But, all right, let's go ahead and play Believable or Buffoonery. Let's start off with some comments recently made by The Glove, a.k.a. Gary Payton, on today's NBA because – One of the favorite pastimes of former NBA players is to talk crap about the current generation of players. But this one may have some merit. He said our era, a.k.a. 90s, 2000s, was us taking pride in more than one thing. This era is just about scoring. Our era was about defense, being rough, getting out there, and getting it done. This era is about shooting threes, getting up and down, and entertainment. It is what it is, and I can't knock anyone for it, but I played in what I think was the best era ever so I think one could debate if the 90s was the best era of basketball but I think he does have a point about scoring so believable or buffoonery today's era of NBA players only care about points I would say believable Right. I.e. Rico Barry, Marcus Smart, Draymond Green, um, 
just in general in yeah. this day and age. Because if you look at football, you don't see that many great dominant defensive teams in the, today's games you did in years past. Like I can remember when I grew when I was growing up watching football, a Baltimore Ravens Pittsburgh Steelers game was going to be a bloodbath, and it wasn't going to be like the games would typically end up being like. 21 to 16. Right. And that's on a good day. Yeah. And, like, now you're seeing, like, key rivalry games, and you're seeing scores of, like, 30, 32 to 28 or something like that. So I think that's just the general, um, like, it's a general concept across the board for sports in today's generation. And I think – I'm sorry, I keep going. No, I'm just going to say, like, they want people to put points on the board. They want things to be more entertaining. Yeah, I think I would agree with you there. I mean, and not just football, but baseball. Like, back in the day, everybody really cared about the pitcher and what pitchers were able to do, blah, blah, blah. But now it's like, who's hitting the most home runs? That's why we love the Mike Trouts. Can he do much else that great? Maybe not, but he hits a whole bunch of home runs. Um, another example is Bryce Harper, another home run hitter. Um, Mookie Betts is another guy. Great, we love what they do, but I think kind of mentioning, you know, just overall the trends of baseball because it used to be all about the hit, I mean, the pitchers and the guys who are making the great play, the gold gloves, and I think that that kind of shifted as well, like in the 90s, early 2000s when you have the Sammy Sosas, Mark McGuire's, Cats and Barry Bonds, guys like that who are changing what we care about in terms of sports. So I agree with you. I just think in basketball it's probably highlighted the most just because I think that no other sport and, like, former athletes, you may not agree with me, but, like, I don't think former athletes of a sport talk this much stuff about the current product of a sport than, like, basketball. Like, with football, some players may disagree with, like, the turn of how offensive things are, but they're not just constantly railing on the league. If anything, they're giving props to the young guys, how they've been able to evolve the game and make things better. But with basketball, it's like very little credit is given to what they're doing now. And I think that it's kind of a bit of a disservice because while I do agree with Gary Payton that scoring has become so emphasized, empathize in today's game I think that there's still a lot of great talent out there that deserves to be acknowledged even if their best attribute is scoring not everybody is going to be a terrific defender especially with how defending and referees and officiating has changed over the past 20 plus years but that's just my opinion um but this is something that I would love to get your opinion on this happened I think uh a couple weeks ago and you weren't on the show but I would love to get your thoughts on this. So an anonymous former NBA player says that Kevin Durant wants to find a way to team up with Ja Morant in Memphis. There's, of course, a lot of debates if that's true or not. And I don't think it would happen in real life. But for the sake of conversation, believable or buffoonery, a Ja Morant and Kevin Durant duo would be the best in the NBA. Playoffs, so 
I would say believable too. I think that other duos that we talked about and AD and LeBron were talked about, but I think LeBron is aging, questions about AD's health. Um, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, it's been hard getting them on the court at the same time. Um, I'm trying to think of other duos that have gotten like a lot of talk, and I'm, I know I'm disrespecting somebody. Booker and Chris Paul. Yeah, I would take KD and Ja. Yeah, I was I would say believable on that, but if only that would happen. All right, and last question before we give our predictions for Game Six of the Finals. I think that Steph Curry has been one of the more polarizing players among basketball circles, just in terms of where does he rank among the all-time greats. Some people believe he is the best point guard of all time. Other people think that's still magic or maybe even uh, other names put ahead of him. And even if he is a top 10 uh, player of all time, it's been so many different conversations revolving Curry. And Shaq had this to say about him. He said, he's already in my company. When it comes to the greatest shooter of all time, Steph Curry is in there by himself. Does that make him top 10? In my opinion, it does. So regardless of how the NBA Finals turn out this year, believable or buffoonery, Steph Curry is a top 10 all-time NBA player. Revolutionized. Yes, revolutionized this game. I think of, like, in that list, I think of Michael Jordan because the game changed when Michael Jordan entered the NBA. I think of Shaquille O'Neal, the game changed when he entered the NBA. And then the next, like, polarizing guy in that same thing is Steph Curry. So, with that being said, I definitely think he's a top 10 all time double tap. Yeah, I would say believable as well. I think that, say what you will about the current crop of NBA players, but three-pointers were a thing, of course, before Steph Curry. But he made it, not only did he make it his thing, but he made it cool to where if I'm going to score on you, it's going to be the three. We've had the Ray Allens, of course. We've had the uh, Jamal Crawfords, other guys who could really shoot it. But I think that the way that Steph Curry was able to make it just his craft to be able to shoot the long range and to make it where everybody wanted to shoot the long range. Everybody was just pulling up from three. I think that, as you mentioned, you know, MJ helped revolutionize the game. Um, Shaq is another one who have revolutionized the game. I think that no one can take away the impact Steph Curry has had on the current state of the NBA and why the three-point shot is so such a huge part of the game because now it's like you are you really aren't even gonna be able to see the court if you can't make a three and that goes from whether you're a point guard to you're a center seven foot tall five eleven does not matter if you can't make a three more times than not 
you're not going to see much play in action. I mean, that's why we see guys like Joel and P and B pull it up. Um, Nikola Jokic, Giannis is working on his game. And I think that you take Steph Curry away from that. I don't think we see as much of an evolution into that long range shooting. So I would agree with you. I would say it's believable as well. But all right, game six tomorrow night, it could all end. Uh, the Warriors could win their fourth championship in the past 10 years. Prove the Kendrick Lamar blessing true because apparently there's a rumor that uh, every year that K- Kendrick Lamar drops an album, the Warriors win a championship. As a Kendrick Lamar fan, I'd rather have that over the Drake curse. So do they get it done tomorrow night? Are they 2022 NBA Finals champions or do the Celtics find a way to hold on? I part of me wants it believes you. Part of me is riding that train because before the series started, I said six, and I know that we kind of harped on the Warriors early in the early in the series when those Celtics were up. I I think that the Celtics can pull out one more. I think that they can pull out one more game. Um, I just think it's going to take the best defensive effort of their life because I don't think you're holding Steph to, what, 15, 14 points again. I don't think that happens. I think that you have to do your best to shut down everybody else because, I mean, how bad of a look is it, the fact that y'all still lost by double digits and Steph didn't make a three? Like, that's his whole game, and you you couldn't stop him. Like, that made no sense to me. So I think I think the Celtics, they make it one more um, but then I think game seven is it gets a bit ugly, and I think in the end, Warriors are NBA champs, and Steph Curry gets his first finals MVP. But yeah, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to add before we close the show out? Yeah. That's fair. I mean, the Lakers fan in me doesn't want to see the Celtics have any success, so there's that. But um yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. This is the first season where I've really committed myself to watching MLB games cuz for work I watch baseball games all the time. So I think I'm just going to throw myself more so into baseball because I am a Dodgers fan, and last night they stressed me the hell out, but it was still a terrific game against the Angels. Hopefully we can pull it off again tonight. But I think I'm just going to kind of throw myself into baseball. I've been kind of keeping – with football, I've kind of just been watching a lot of uh, press conferences, um, so that's been kind of tidying me over. Um, Of course, I'm sure in a few weeks we'll probably have the Deshaun Watson conversation, probably whenever he eventually gets his suspension, but – if you had to predict, how long do you think he's going to get suspended for? Because I would be shocked if it's anything less than 12 games. Real talk, I wouldn't be surprised if they suspended him the whole year. I was going to say, I think he might get like two years. Damn. You think that he gets the Trevor Bauer treatment? Yeah, because I just think that that's the reason why. Because yeah. Because of the Trevor Bauer and because of the NFL and like the own charge. 
Yeah, he had it. It's two more lawsuits. It's up to 26 now. Overall, it's a stressful situation, but we'll talk about that more in depth whenever that suspension does come. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. We'll see you all next time. Thanks again so much for listening.